0: The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We do welcome our online listeners today. If those of you who are here locally with our little congregation you would have gotten a little warm up message in regard to some world history and um, the video that got posted with this message today uh, it sounds like I'm in support of Rob Bell but Rob Bell is a certified classic Universalist so when you watch the video I want you to put the the biggest emphasis upon the publication that's being advertised in the video at the end. and I want you to go to our website and I have that publication uh, on our homepage and if you just click on that publication, it's going to take you to our latest newsletter on Universalism. It is an extensive and expanded version of our newsletter. And basically what I did is I captured the highlights of what I learned from from, uh, Dr. Fowler and my own studies and put it together into a very simple, straightforward message communicating what universalism is all about. As I've dialogued with a handful of, of you universalists who are listening, I want to first say that I really appreciate you've done your homework. I really do. I'm not just saying that. I'm not pumping you up or or exalting you in knowledge. I'm just saying the truth is you are far more prepared for a discussion with a guy like me who is anti-universalist than most Christians that I talk to. And I compliment you in that fashion. But I do not compliment you in the ability to hear the truth. And I want to share something with you, Universalist. When you hear precise truth, you're hearing precise lies. And I don't know if you've ever really noticed this or not. This I'm speaking to the indwelt listeners. But when you share the truth with someone, the unadulterated truth, and you're watching this person, whether they're in a cult or whether they're Mormons or whether they're universalists in a Unitarian church or whoever, and as you're sharing the truth with this person, you know the spirit of the living God is speaking through you. And you know the truth you're sharing is profoundly able to change the entire world if they listened to your message of truth. But all of a sudden you look in their eyes and you realize they didn't hear a word I said. So Universalists, I'm talking to you again, particularly you, Rob Bell. You have no clue what truth is. Because truth is a person. And if you can't accept the person as the Son of God and as God, and that God does live within born again believers, and that anyone who finds any pathway outside of what I just said to you, you are going to hell, Rob Bell. But if you receive Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who is God, into your mortal flesh and become born again, and are able to stand firm on the fact that anyone who does not choose the same path that I chose is going to go to hell. We have to be able to say that, Universalists. One universalist I'm talking to has this bent toward supporting the Luciferian society. People of light. You have a denomination you put together from the society of the Luciferians. You're called Unitarians. And the reason why, and there's mo- most, I believe, of you universalists do not understand the term Unitarian. And it is using Jesus as a utility. And that's what I'm going to show you today in our message. So when we take a look at, is Jesus truly the Son of God? Or is Jesus a utility? When you think of utility with a piece of software on your phone or your laptop... What do you expect out of this utility app? Function. Function. I want that utility app to get all my apps working together as one. You ever get a little pop-up on your screen that says, 50 apps running, clean, bing, 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 bing. Your phone is saying, clean it, get rid of them. Because 50 apps are running at one time, working your phone, using up your data. That's why we put software on our phones to catch it. That's a utility. That's a piece of utility software on your phone and on your laptops that are making use of all apps without you even knowing it. Sucking up your data. And I don't know if you remember that video and the clips I pulled out of this gal's sermon. And if you are listening, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm trying to show you with your own example that you use with Microsoft products and the goal of Microsoft and Google International. And you, too, are using this analogy as a spiritual principle. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is not a utility. He's a single pathway. He's a fundamentalist. So I don't want to look at Christianity as some universal approach to reaching people. I would rather look at Jesus Christ as the universe. But we're going to have to break that down a little bit. I want to give you a quote from Charles Swindoll, who's known as Chuck. He says this You want to mess with the minds of your children? Here's how it will be guaranteed. Rear them in a legalistic, tight context of external religion where performance is more important than inward faith of Christ. Fake your faith. Sneak around and pretend your, spirit, your spirituality. Train your children to be the same. Embrace a long list of to-dos and don'ts publicly, but hypocritically practice them privately. Yet never own up to the fact of its hypocrisy. Act one way, but live another. And you can count on it. Emotional and a spiritual damage will occur. Now, I don't, I don't like to say this, but the truth is, every room I walk into or every room I'm in that has people in it, I have to realize that even though at a young age some of you are excited about what you're hearing, that Satan is, is relentless. He's not going to let you hang on to that. When you're 14, when you're 18, when you're 25, he wants you to toss all of this to the wind and say, you know, I'm, I'm developing quite a hatred toward God. He's, he's too bossy. There's too many rules. When parents use rules to change pe- their children... It turns them into universalists. I don't want any rules. I don't want order. I I don't want structure. Why are you here? And do we really need you? I said to my brother, I'm more interested in the generation that comes after the millennial generation. That's the generation I'm concerned about. Because Satan uses one thought at a time to destroy the minds of children. But if everything is about Christ in your parenting, Christ in you, and and honey, you don't have Christ in you yet, so there's no way, I I don't even expect you to get this. But I need to have you honor my request until you do get it keep stopping at the stop signs until you get it on your own that it's wise for me to stop at a stop sign. That's quality parenting. Don't run in the street. And if the true lesson is, don't run in the street because Christ isn't finished with the mission of reconciliation in your life yet. My kids aren't going to know what that means. You say, I'm only interested in one thing, and that's getting to my adult years, getting married and having children. Why? Well, what's the point? So they can go to hell? So they can be bitter? If you haven't noticed, Universalist, you are a Universalist because your parents tried to tighten the screws on you. We are coming <laughs> out of a church era of legalism. So the generation that follows it will be universalistic. Here's another quote train up a child, train up children in a box of external performance will lead the child to taking one of two paths universalism, which is don't judge me, or perfectionism, which is changing externals in order to feel internally in order. So you get one of the two extremes. Don't tell me what to do. Don't judge me. Or, I'm going to write my own Bible. And I can't even get out of the house in the morning until I fulfill a certain list of rules and to-dos. Both are offensive to Christ. And Satan wins in both decisions. So now that many of our listeners are confused, i got to tell you, there's not a thing I can say or a thing you can read or a book I can recommend to you that is going to get rid of your confusion because confusion is one of the 13 names of Satan. He is the author of Confusion. When you hear the truth, it goes through a filter called the mind of Satan. And he re feeds that information to you, which is why it's a lie. The technique he used in the garden was truth, truth, lie, not lie, lie, truth. So as you hear truth presented to you, Satan's going to grab it since he's your God at the top of your little mountain that has thousands of pathways, he's your shepherd. He is who you hear because you're not hearing the Christ of the universe. The Jesus Christ of the universe. So the stuff you're hearing me say right now, you're not going to get the truth unless the Holy Spirit decides to reveal it to you. Is there a verse about that? Several. You don't get the prerogative understanding truth until the Spirit says you're ready for it. And 90% of that big tank of water sitting in the street are never going to get it. But see, that doesn't mean the people in the shot glass do not continue to be passionate about presenting the truth. Because we're not the ones that do the choosing. I was, you know, reviewing our message today, and of course, you know, I remixed the whole Rob Bell video, so it puts the emphasis on what I'm going to show you now. And I've heard it quite a few times as I've been preparing for this morning's message. So I was running it as I was, you know, organizing the chairs, getting things ready for church this morning, and he came to that point in the video where he was saying, you know, his basic bottom line, love wins, and it's all about love, and then he said, what God would send someone to hell? when he claims to be the definition of love and you probably would have laughed if you saw me but I turned around and looked at him on the video and I, and I said my god but see that's offensive to even most indwell believers that he decides who's going to be in the little shot glass We don't have that choice. We have the choice of responding. So our study word this morning, obviously, is Christology. And so we have to look at, within the actual theology of Christ, whether he is utilitarian, whether he is a utility, whether he is something God uses one of the main prophets that God used to get some stuff done. Universalism in general regards Jesus as utilitarian. A utility tool utilized by God the Father to facilitate His commanded objective to save all men universally. Most universalistic teaching sees Jesus as but a means to an end. A mindless, mechanical robot. An instrumental savior, employed to exhibit God's love, guarantee God's covenant, or facilitate God's decree. They do not take into account that he was and is God. He wasn't a utility for God. He was and is God. The deficiency of a traditional understanding of Trinitarianism, that's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, or all God, function as this Godhead should be evidence to all, but realistically it is not. In fact, realistically it is a very, very, very offensive thought. So if you are in debates with people who don't support true, authentic, indewalt Christianity, quit wrangling with verses. Quit beating them to death with verses. Just ask them the simple question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the actual seed Son of God? Start there. Because the odds are you're going to nail it right on that one. So let's say you got a yes. Because they've been trained from their childhood at youth camps and church services, even though we don't want to include children in our services, they're a distraction. They grow up with this thought that Jesus is a utility. So then second thing, if they, if they say, well, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Don't accept it. You have to say, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the actual seed Son of the living God? It's His seed that got put in Mary. Because you kids are growing up being told Jesus is the Son of God. You don't even know what that means. Have someone explain to you what it means to be the Son of God. Well, you know, God sent His Son to be the Savior. To... No, that doesn't mean that. That is the ministry of reconciliation. He is the seed Son of God put into a woman. Miraculous conception. Then He was born. Still, the seed son of God. He died the seed son of God. The reason why his body did not deteriorate in that tomb because he was the seed son of God. Do you believe that? Well, I don't know. I I really haven't thought about that. Uh, All right, let's put that one aside. Do you believe, can you say with your mouth to me right now, when we do demonic deliverances with people, this is what we ask them to say. Okay, let's put that that aside, and I want to have you say something to me, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God. Can you say that to me? Well, what do you mean by that? What... And if they're wanting to educationally debate you, they already answered your question. That is an instant response of an endowed Christian. Well, of course I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He is God. Awesome. Question three. Do you believe that Jesus Christ, the seed Son of God, came and became sin on your behalf, gave his life for you so that he now, the seed son of God, can actually live inside your mortal body. Exchange life. It's the final question. Uh, man, you're going to have to explain that to me. Do, do you understand what you universalists are you... Christianized Universalists are saying if you cannot answer that question a brand new 12 year old born again Christian can answer that question without knowing how to read the Bible of course he lives in me okay now I watch him because I don't know whether mommy taught them well and they're just repeating mommy's words. Or if they believe. By faith. Which is bringing the unseen into the seen world. Okay. I won't say you're a Christian. And I won't say you're not. I'll just watch. Do you mind me? Just watching and i want you to watch me not that we live perfect lives but do we endure the hardships of life to the end so all you conservative baptists who believe that once you pray a prayer you've you've met your magical re- you know, a travel ticket and you keep it in your wallet, keep it close to you. Maybe you take a little snapshot of it, keep it as a photo in your your iPhone. You've got your proof somehow that you asked Jesus Christ into your life and that it's a sealed deal and you're going to make it. Or whether you are one of those Christians that believe that you can be saved one day and unsaved the next day. The two extremes of Christianity. I want you to consider the four pieces of evidence of salvation. And our local group here is kind of caught on to these four pieces, so I'm going to ask you guys. What are the four pieces of proof? You know them by their what? So you know them by their deeds... Know them by their love. Know them by their fruit. Fruit is different than deeds. And those who endure to the end shall be saved. It's not, oh, I, I know, we should know them by their love. Well, I don't want to put too much of a shocker in your system. But if you haven't noticed the universalists are better at loving than you are i know more christians destroying other christians than i do universalists destroying christians cuz they got the love win things down they do Remembering that universalists do not acknowledge the biblical definition of sin, but God the Father obviously considered the consequences of sin to be of such significant importance to send the Son, His Son, Seed Son, to be the redeeming, corrective, and restorative Savior of mankind. So here's what the verse says. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, That whoever believes in him should not perish but has eternal life. So what we have to study to show thyself approved of handling accurately the word of truth is what God says about his son. Not what you perceive to be true about his son. That's why we have denominations. There's over 3,000 denominations in the world. Because each denomination is doing their interpretation of what God said about Jesus versus studying God's beliefs of His only Son and then sending them to us. He, God the Father, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to actually become sin on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21 So the logical conclusion is this, Universalists, listen very carefully. And I really appreciate those who do make use of this number, 602-292-2982. I also want to encourage you, those of you who are calling, I do not respond unless you tell me who you are. And so... When you do call and I can't answer, you need to say, I have a few questions about your message on Sunday or whatever whatever you're doing to identify this call. Don't just hang up. And if you're texting, you need to be willing to reveal yourself in the texting. But I appreciate those who are making contact and getting their questions answered. So here's our conclusion. If universalists don't acknowledge sin and Jesus became sin on our behalf, thus they do not acknowledge the, tr- the true Jesus and tout that he is like the rest of us fundamentalists. I'm here to tell you, Christianized universalists, he is a fundamentalist. He is narrow-minded. He will tell you you're going to hell. He will tell you you're a sinner, but he will also tell you that you can be saved by his life. But there's only one way you're going to receive this salvation through him, and that is through him. He's not going to adjust his beliefs that he's required to live out by his father because you have a hard time being judged. And I'm here to tell you you're going to stand in the same judgment line that I'm going to stand in. And I can pull a ticket out of my pocket that I somehow prayed when I was seven years of age and it's not going to redeem me. There's no redemption value of that coupon. Unless Jesus is able to see you standing there and see the reflection of his own image in you. And you will be washed away of any consequences of judgment. That's when you'll know if you're saved. Christian. Check out what Rob Bell says here about Christianity. One of the most powerful communicators of the universalist movement
1: in our generation today. We had an art show at our church and people brought in all kinds of sculptures and paintings and we put them on display and there was this one piece that had a quote from Gandhi in it. And lots of people found this piece compelling. They'd stop and sort of stare at it and take it in and reflect on it. But not everybody found it that compelling. Somewhere in the course of the art show, somebody attached a handwritten note to the piece. And on the note, they had written, reality check, he's in hell. Gandhi's in hell. He is. And someone knows this for sure and and felt the need to let the rest of us know. Will only a few select people make it to heaven? And will billions and billions of people burn forever in hell? And if that's the case, how do you become one of the few? Is it what you believe, or what you say, or what you do, or who you know, or something that happens in your heart? Or do you need to be initiated, or baptized, or take a class, or converted, or being born again? How does one become one of these few? And then there is the question behind the questions, the real question, what is God like? Because millions... And millions of people were taught that the primary message, the center of the gospel of Jesus, is that God is going to send you to hell unless you believe in Jesus. And so what gets subtly sort of caught and taught is that Jesus rescues you from God. But what kind of God is that, that we would need to be rescued from this God? How could that God ever be good? How could that God ever be trusted? And how could that ever be good news. This is why lots of people want nothing to do with the Christian faith. They see it as an endless list of absurdities and inconsistencies and they say, why would I ever want to be a part of that? See, what we believe about heaven and hell is incredibly important because it exposes what we believe about who God is and what God is like. What you discover in the Bible is so surprising and unexpectedly beautiful that whatever we've been told or taught The good news is actually better than that. Better than you can ever imagine. The good
0: news is that love wins. This is actually a commercial for his book. There's one line that he states in there to most is probably going to make sense. But it's so evil that it reveals who is possessed this man. Of Jesus coming to save you from God? You see, he's saying God is a damning, condemning, sending millions and billions of people to hell, and Jesus had to come and save you from this tormenting God. I heard Satan himself speaking. How many are going to get that? I can tell you not many did because it became and is still one of the most popular books written in world history. Love Wins. It got him fired from his church. But it continues to be a book that people are buying all over the world. This man will be listed in church history as John Wagner is listed as the author and founder of Unitarianism so standing back there this morning listening to this again my final thought was he's going to burn in hell this man's going to burn in hell And he said the one thing you should never, ever, ever say. And he said it. He turned God into Satan. What was wrong is now right. And what is right is now wrong. It's finished. It's a very sad video. And yes, you should still pray for him. And if anyone who is listening is attracted to any of his words or podcasts or books or anything, I'm saying, quit today just for the mere salvation of your curiosity. Shift your curiosity over to studying the Word of God, not books written by people who are confused. All Christianized form of universal make the reference to Jesus Christ, but most fail to understand the full significance of the incarnation, whereby the Son of God became the God man here on earth. It's a big hang up for them. And then when he returns out of the tomb, he literally takes the full position of God. That's that is tough to swallow. And then to know that you are in Christ and you are seated at the right hand of the Most High, Colossians three three, that's bizarre. Without Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you got to have some compassion here, folks. They don't get it. That really sounds crazy. That puts you as the bride of Christ in the Trinity. That's bizarre. Most Christians who have Jesus living in them Cannot explain that one. But they know the verse is true. They know there's verses that say they're the bride of Christ. They know there's verses that say Christ in you. They know that there's verses that say they're seated at the right hand of God. They know that there's verses that say we're already in that position. They know there's those verses because they've done Bible studies with their favorite authors. But they're clueless to what it means. And these universalists get it well, that says you're God. No, it doesn't. It says I'm the bride of Christ, who is God. But see, we live in a society where women are telling men what to do 24 hours a day. Joking, you just turn a man's head and you'll be good to go after. There's just endless, endless, endless jokes and theologies and books and tapes and podcasts and whatever of women directing men. Because men are stupid. Men are mama's boys, and that has gone into the church. So now when we look at leadership of eternity, of being the bride of Christ, and we have no prerogative to tell Jesus what to believe. We don't turn Jesus' head as the bride of Christ. We don't manipulate him. We don't, you know, use our little games because we're uncomfortable with what our leader is doing and saying. But that's what the church believes. I dare not tell Jesus what to think. And when he speaks to me in prayer and through the word of God, I say, yes, sir, you are my husband. You are my leader. You are the Son of God. You are God. Who am I to question the Almighty? And he will go, Yes. That's a true bride. That's not how the church functions with their men today. It is not. I'm sorry. So you look at these female pastors and gay pastors and. You know, these endless stories of what's going to happen after that decision was made a few weeks ago, it's just going to go endless how that is going to affect things. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make a statement today at 602-292-2982, is that you are going to turn Jesus into being gay. Rob Bell said, Jesus Christ is neither male or female. He's both. He's a transvestite. Yeah, he got fired. But now he advises the President of the United States. You can't stop Satan. He's going to win. Here on earth anyway. For a while. We've got to hang on to the, the conservative fundamental doctrines that God gave us in the written word. God is love. Universalism, universalism views the person and passion of Jesus Christ as the ultimate love act of God, revealing to mankind how much he loves them and his extent to save all men. And so everything is about love wins. And love does win, guys. It does. Love is going to win in the end. But I have to ask you, to what Savior? What is this goopy love going to accomplish in the world? What Savior is it going to cause you to bow to for your universal salvation? The covenant universalism is Jesus' the last will and testament of the universal covenant, verifying and guaranteeing that all will be included in this covenant. Really? Boy, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to say you lied to us. That the roadway to destruction is wide and many are on it, and the roadway to the Father of the universe is narrow and few are on it. Why would you lie to us, Jesus? Why would you say these words? You see what it causes the church to do? Who's the liar in the end? Jesus Christ! So when you actually use his quoted words and they default to this, they're saying Jesus is a liar. The reason why Rob Bell doesn't get it is because he doesn't get it. He never will. Unless the Holy Spirit opens his mind, leads him into repentance, and confesses. All of what God gave us is absolute truth, immovable. Only that moment will grant him reception into being born again. Two blocks from this location, there's a church that came out last year and said the word of God is no longer viewed by our denomination as the authoritative word of God. Well, those of you who are a part of that denomination who know exactly what I'm referring to, I'm here to tell you, you just called Jesus Christ a liar. That is one line you should never cross. Get out of that church today. Get out of any church that says the word of God is just a reference material. But there's no way they can adopt the social gospel until they agree to sign on to that policy. Calvinistic universalism regards Jesus as the comprehensive Savior, deterministically applying the limitless atonement as God's universally draws all men into this deception. And all they do is just change one word of the tulip. Remember? Limitless. Instead of limited atonement, narrow pathway, it's limitless. They switch the pathways. Are you with me? This mountain is over here now, and this mountain is over here. We're the crazy ones. But be assured that when they reject you, they're rejecting Christ. When they call you a liar, they're calling Christ a liar as long as you're clinging to the word of God. Oneness universalism speculates that the spirit of Christ is the intrinsic spiritual reality in all men, assuring them of their universal oneness with God. And then, of course, uh, soteriological universalism has the uh, definite incarnational Christology, but pushes its significance to the extreme making the incarnation, Jesus becoming flesh, an all-inclusive reconciliation and restoration of humanity within being of, within the very being of God. So, therefore, everyone can have this. Yes, it is being offered to everyone, but I'm afraid everyone is not going to get it. And that's what Rob Bell was reacting to. Here's a little list to keep in mind. Those of you who do not have the PDF in front of you, I would go back to our library and open up this PDF and either print it or download it and save it on your your hard drive. But critical statements here. We don't have time to go through all of them. But the first one here is the person and work of Jesus Christ can only be properly understood in the dynamic incarnational Christology, Jesus becoming flesh, starts there. So if they get confused about how in the world could God put his seed inside of Mary, and literally, some of you are thinking right now, how could God put his sperm inside of Mary? You see, that's, that's just crazy thinking. And those of you who are out there that, believes that believe that Mary had sex with God, as I heard this past week. You are trying to make God too human. God decides life. God decides death. If you had a miscarriage this week, lady, I'm very sorry for that. But God's the one that decides that this baby's going to go forward or this baby is not going to go forward. And that is how we have to begin to view the basic fundamental doctrines of Jesus Christ being God. It's right there. Secondly, God was in Christ. Now you've got to understand that puts God's identity inside of his own son. How's that done? Through the seed. If you're a bastard child, you need to take the time to research a little bit on who your natural father was. Don't let your bitterness get in the way. And if it's impossible for you to find your natural father, or maybe your natural father is dead, you can still do research. I did research on my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather here recently. Found some wonderful things. He signed the Declaration of Independence. You know, he was a very zealous Christian. I found wonderful things. It's a part of my seed lineage. You need to understand that you're standing there, you're sitting there under the seed expression of your father. Not your mother. You weren't called to follow your mother. You were called to follow your father. Well, if your father is a sinner that needs to be saved by the life of Jesus Christ, you need to take that into the formula. And if there's some of you who are listening that are saying, well, because my father got saved, I know I'll get saved. Not. These are very critical, crucial things that we have to be thinking about. Because Jesus himself was required to adopt the identity of his father so he could give his identity to you. The identity of the father is pure. When God put his identity inside Jesus Christ through his seed, that identity showed up as perfect. And so, Mary gave birth to a perfect child. Yes, she did. There was no sin in Jesus' mortal body. No bad identity. No identity that associated him with Satan. Every one of you who are listening right now, you were born identified with a license in your wallet. If you pulled it out, it's going to have the face of Satan on it. He is your identity. Unless you get a new identity. And that can only happen through Jesus Christ. That's how practical point two is. Christ was. uh, Christ Jesus was. Made in the likeness of men. Likeness. In order that the man Christ Jesus. Might be the one mediator between God and man. That's that's why he did that. Because if you. Would look at some Jesus Christ who came right out of heaven and started walking around on the earth, you go, Well, I'll never I'll never be able to be like him. Those are your false prophets on the earth. That's why my Muslim listeners get all confused because they have been told that their Imams can't sin. That'd be like us Christians saying our pastor can't sin. It's called sinless perfection. Some modern Theology spreading throughout the entire world. That your leaders don't sin. Jesus understood that. God the Father understood that. So he set it up in such a way that Jesus Christ came through manhood. And was vulnerable to all things as we have been vulnerable. Tempted in all ways as we have been tempted. Finally, in his redemptive mission, Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many, Matthew twenty twenty eight, and was obedient under the point of death, even death on the cross. So the dying process daily of making decisions of these temptations that Satan was bringing in and the dying on the cross. I don't know if you guys think it's picture story books out of some child, children's Bible when Satan kept showing up to Jesus, tempting him with having, you know, if you just bow at my feet and call me God, I'll give you Jerusalem. Really? The Rothschilds took Jerusalem easier than that. But you know what? It is a great temptation to say to Jesus, I'll give you power over little pieces and nuggets of my world. All man where he didn't understand that he was the Son of God? No, he knew he was the Son of God. Jesus was the universe. Not Jerusalem. So the temptation coming from a satanic perspective is, who's the stupid one here? One who knows the truth and can't act upon it. Which one here, Jesus or Satan? And Satan just kept on tempting him right to the very final breath he took on the cross. Death on the cross death in decisions death on the cross Satan state at him to the very end tempting him with things that Jesus already owned as he does with you he's tempting you with identity statements that you, you already are beyond I am the bride of Christ I'm holy I'm chosen I'm the beloved I'm the list goes on and on it's a very long list of identity statements it's incredible So the cross was not merely an example of self-giving love and sacrifice as some forms of universalism seem to interpret the crucifixion. The word of the cross, Christ crucified, was a legal stumbling block to the Jews and logically absurdity to the Gentiles. But to the indwelled Christians, the crucified Savior is the power of the cross for his wisdom. So we must never settle for a static interpretation of Christ's crucifixion. What we really need to do is embrace the full identity of it is a finished work. You can't change it. You can't do historical revisionism on it. It's done. It's finished. Your opinion doesn't matter. Finally, that was no cry for defeat. This isn't working. He had to walk all the way through his mission to the very end so that death on the cross would have its final blow On who? On Satan. So you see, when he says it is finished, he wasn't saying that to you. He was saying that to your tempter. It's over. You stepped over the line. You're done. You're finished. You will never have any power and control from this moment forward. Up to the point of the cross, he did. Charismatics have taken that a little too far, but honestly, they got this piece down. He has absolutely no power in your life. None. You're finished. It's over. You stepped over the line. Death could not hold him in its power, Acts 2.24, in his resurrection, the risen Lord, who is the resurrection and the life, John 11:25), 25, now functions as a dynamic resurrection, life, whereby all men willing to receive him can be born again to a living hope, 1 Peter 1, 3, and were to be saved by his life and reconciled by his death. Romans 5.10 tells us, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. The death of Jesus is for reconciliation. But you're actually saved by His life. Identity statement for today. If as uh, universalism reasons, all men are to be saved by the necessities of God's love, covenant, degrees, or oneness, then the question must be asked, What was the purpose of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? A universalist would say, that's pointless to talk about that. The answer and conclusion might be drawn in the likeness of Paul's statement to the Galatian uh, church. He said in 2.21, If all are destined to be saved, then Christ died needlessly the most conditional verse in the entire New Testament. I just read it to you. Universalism can legitimately be charged with robbing the death of Christ of its atoning and redemptive significance, and with uh, gutting the resurrection of Christ of its singularly unique dynamic to restore God's life to receptive individuals. We must never allow the Life, capital L, and work of Jesus Christ to become an unessential, irrelevant blip on the radar screen of history, which is what it's becoming. For this is Satan's goal. What we should do is continually expound on the incarnational Christology that recognizes the dynamic implication of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when someone says to me from a universalist thought that it's pointless for us to discuss your Jesus dying on the cross for our sins because sin is self interpretive. This is a pointless part of our discussion. They're correct. It is pointless. Because of Jesus becoming sin on our behalf is something they don't understand. The rest of the gospel has to go social. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.